Welcome to episode 9 of The Sounds of the Rising. Last spring, I met this most incredible woman online. She had come to one of my um, essential oil classes, introductory classes online, when, when the world went online. And... I just felt like I, you know, I felt like, and I continue to feel like it was destiny because we have become friends. We have become friends, and she actually visited me a couple of weeks ago. She's a beautiful, beautiful young woman. And as the world of social media goes, I one day was following Gabby's adventure to visit her cousin. And I went and looked at who her cousin was and started following her and just really fell in love with the passion that she has for her work and the passion that she has for for really standing for what is true in today's world. Um, her name is Sophia Crawford. She is the intuitive doula and it is an honor for me to introduce her to you in this space, in this envelope. I'm calling it an envelope. That's the word that's come to me. That is the sounds of the rising. It is an envelope. It's an envelope of of passion and joy and creativity and the feminine rising and Sophia really really does embody that in just so many ways so welcome to episode nine and I I really hope you enjoy this conversation because I know I say this every week but I I really truly did it was it was a really beautiful conversation to have okay so here we are it's slightly precarious for me to be recording a podcast at 8pm because honestly anyone could walk in (laughs) at any point my children aren't in bed yet and I have my friend with her family staying with me so there's actually four children in the house and four adults so good luck to us um we'll see what happens it's also the first day of my bleed so I might not be able to get my words out (laughs) So let's see what happens. First time I've recorded one at this point in my cycle as well. So fun times. Very anyway, <laughs> hello. 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 <laughs> we were well, going to talk earlier, but you had to see a client today. Yeah. I did. I'm sorry about that. And no. same for me. Any time of day, I have the risk of somebody entering the room. So yeah, like you say, here we are. We'll see how it goes. Exactly. Exactly. Life with kids, eh? Exactly. It is, but wouldn't have it any other way. No, absolutely not. So um, on that note, I would absolutely love, and like, by the way, for everyone listening, this is the first time that Sophia and I have spoken. I explained how we sort of know each other, in inverted commas, in the intro. Um 
but yeah, this is the first time we've spoken. And so I am, you know, I've really enjoyed kind of following you on Instagram and getting a, a sense of who you are. But I'm really, really interested to hear your story, your journey that has led you to being the woman that you are today and doing the work that you do, which we will go into more detail as we get into this podcast. But it would just be really wonderful to hear hear your story and your journey to this point in your life. So I feel I feel like there's I've always been quite maternal. Um, I've always been around strong women raising children. I'm one of four, the oldest of four. My auntie um, has two girls, and we always always used to hang out together. And my both both my mum and my auntie were um great role models when it comes to like you know breastfeeding was like really normalized like I didn't know any different I just felt like that I I knew that at some point that I would definitely be a mother but I also felt that that was was something I was really drawn to there um and it was something that I kind of ignored I think until I had my children I felt a shift once I'd had them. So before I had Elba, I was actually working as a visual merchandiser for a large like retail fashion, uh, fashion retail company in London. Um, and then once I had her, I just felt like that work just didn't, it didn't really ha- have, have much meaning. Like I've always been quite a creative person, um, but something was lacking, I felt, and I just, I knew that once I'd had her I just wouldn't be returning to that sort of work and I knew that I wanted to be at home with her for as long as possible so um yeah I did I didn't return to that basically um I after I had had her I did actually start like a little clothing company just like a little Etsy shop I was like what can I do to stay at home (laughs) so I had a little Etsy shop um but once I had Ren there was like no passion for that I was like I just I don't want to be doing that in my evenings really sewing tiny trousers um, <laughs> um so I I basically hired a doula uh, for my um placenta remedies um after I had both girls and the the minute I met her and spent time in her presence I just knew that I was like this this is amazing like this is what I need to do um and when I looked more into like what doulas do and uh, do you know what I didn't have my doula with me for long but she made such an impact on my life that I just yeah I mean wherever she is today I thank her (laughs) because she she really like sticks in my mind she she played like she influenced me a lot um so I knew once the girls were of, of a good age that I would go down that path basically when I was pregnant I completely absorbed myself in the whole process of growing and nourishing them and I knew that I, because I had felt that lack of village once I had them, I knew that I wanted to be support for women in that situation. Um, so once we got to Bristol, that's kind of what I did. I did my course and yeah, here I am. How long have you been doing it now? So I actually certified in June 2020. So during the pandemic, obviously, when we were completely locked out of the birth room, which was fantastic. Great way to start <laughs> um but I I feel like it it was it it actually was probably a really good thing because it it did lead me to seek out women who were choosing to birth outside of the system 
Um, obviously, the restrictions around birth have really um, affected like women and families, and it's really brought birth home. Actually, like the home birth rate is increased, and I know that's where I feel like my passion is to, you know, <laughs> for people to recognise birth what it is, like you know, a primal, natural thing. And I, of course, like there is a time and a place for the medical industry, but I feel like we view birth as something needs medical attention. Like we are not sick when we're pregnant. Um, and I just, that's my passion that I, I want people to believe in their bodies and to have trust that birth happens without medical intervention. Yeah, I love that um, this oh, this last 18 months has, you know, obviously it's had different effects on different people, but for many people who were already moving towards being more connected to their bodies and the earth and nature, it's been even more of a, a reminder to come home to that. And it's, you know, the fact that from, you know, from following you and, and other women that I follow within the, the birth field, for want of a better term, I don't know <laughs> what I would say, but I, you know, I've really, I've really felt that. And I've had two friends um, that, um had babies during the last 18 months and they had babies during the worst of it actually and you know it was great to get together and still give them a blessing way because there's no way that you know any of us within our circle were going to deny them everything that was meant for them during that time but you know they they would have home birthed anyway but they were even more kind of alone with it than they would otherwise would have been. And their experience was all the more richer for it. And it's, it's really beautiful. I mean, maybe I'll, I'll give a little intro about my births actually at the beginning of this podcast, just, I won't bore you, bore you with it, but I might give a little intro about it. I'd but... love to hear about it. Yeah, okay. Um, it's hard to do it in a short period of time, but I'll try. So I've had two children. When I had Caleb, you know, I didn't know anyone else who'd had children. I was relatively young, bizarrely. I mean, I was 28. I mean, in those, in these days that I, I know at my NCT class, I was the youngest. I mean, it's crazy. Like women are having children so much older now, of course. Mm -hmm. So to be like 28 and feel like a young mom was was quite an interesting experience, especially within the socioeconomic group where I lived. I think it's even more so the case. And um, I didn't know, it. My, none of my friends had had children. And uh, I... But I knew I had a lot of instincts around it because my aunt was a big influence for me. She had a child in her 40s. So I got to experience that as an older child to see what she had done. And um, I knew that I wanted to have a more natural birth, but I wasn't brave enough to have it at home because Josh wasn't really that supportive of me either. And so I decided for a midwife led unit. 
but it was 40 minutes away from my live where I live they kept sending me home in between like in in the middle of labor and they made me lie on the bed even though I wanted to be up moving around and I he turned inside me when I was lying on the bed they didn't know they <laughs> they told me my waters broke and they put me in the birth pool and they hadn't broken and so the birth pool just slowed my labor down then I started then I went semi-unconscious had to go to hospital like it was just like it was very traumatic for me they gave me an epidural when I got there because they told me I needed to sleep because it had been like over 24 hours at this point I still tried to push him out and then they said he wasn't fitting out so I'd had to go and have an emergency c-section and like at that point like I was screaming that I was dying because he and and now I like uh, with hindsight like he was just literally trying to fit out of a hole he couldn't fit out of because the way he turned in my body and his his head was all like bruised from just hitting against my pelvis but I felt like a failure because I'd wanted this natural birth and it was it was horrendous it was awful and I could still cry about it talking about it now but it is 100% because I wasn't at home like if I'd been at home and had someone who was there to support me with what I'd wanted to do because everything I was asking to do that I was was being ignored and everything started to go wrong at that point Mm. you know it wouldn't I know it wouldn't have happened and then I had Savannah who four and a half years later who I had I have very long labors I have like 24 hour plus labor. So I stayed at home, beautiful day, gardening, cooking. Like I was in labor the whole time. We went for a walk. I gave Caleb a bath. I put him to bed. And at midnight, I knew I, I was ready. Mm. Again, didn't feel the confidence to do it at home, like a VBAC at home, because they scare you with all the scar ripping yeah. stories. Yeah, yeah. And um, I suppose like, because of your experience first time as well, it, that would have definitely played on your mind it was yeah you know. oh no yeah it definitely did and so I but I did know I was going to go at the last possible moment into the hospital I got there I knew I was in advanced labor but they told me I was only four centimeters and I needed to go up and like not like I was nowhere near to giving birth and I always find this so bizarre Sophia like how can they blueprint a, a labor when they see so many and every story you hear we here is so different yeah they blueprint a labor and I was like what and I'd gone and done birth reflections in between Caleb and Savannah because I wanted to release everything that I had like the trauma I was holding with Caleb Mm. before I had Savannah and she'd explained to me that the reason they'd given me this light epidural was because I, I was so exhausted at this point and I was burning ketones like I was totally done and I needed to sleep otherwise I, w- I would have like I wouldn't have got through the rest of it and so they gave me the epidural for sleep not for pain so that I would switch off right. and apparently I did go to sleep and in my notes it's like I'm dribbling and I don't know why I had to wear that <laughs> then yeah so I had this in my mind with Savannah like if they were telling me I was only four centimeters and already done 24 hours of labor I was like, I can't do another, whatever you're telling me, like, how long are you saying? I'm going to be another eight hours. Like I can't do it. I was exhausted. So I actually took a step back and I was like, okay, I need something to allow me to sleep then because I'm not, I'm not going to get through this. They took me up to the ward and I was still very confused. I really felt like I was in labor and I think someone else would have like you 
right? Or an mm. in-tune person would have known it. Yeah. But the midwife was like a matron and she was like, you are not in labor. Like you're ridiculous. Like, and you're only four centimeters. Why are you telling me that you need some something to help you sleep? Like, anyway, so she went off to go and get someone to help me. And I went into the toilet. I sat on the toilet and I let out. Like it was completely, I couldn't control it. This primal, like, ah, like that. She walks in, she's like, get off the toilet. You're giving birth. Like complete switch. Oh. Get on the bed, get your leg in the stirrups. I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to. She's like, get your leg in the stirrups. And you're like bullied. Yeah. You're like bullied, right? So I'm there with my like leg in the stirrups. And then she was like, I can't feel your heart, baby's heartbeat. I'm going to get the clip. And I was like, you are not putting a clip on her head. Her heartbeat is here. And I touched where it was. And she was like, how do you know? And I was like, I just know. And she put it and she could hear it. And then she was like, okay, her, her heart stopped beating now. It hadn't, I don't know what happened, but anyway, she said, her heart stopped beating. You need to get her out quick. Otherwise we're intervening. And I did, I got her out super quick. But then mm. I'm just going to ask you this question while we're on here. <laughs> like ask it. away. She came out and her, um, her cord was fully wrapped around her neck and they went to cut the cord and I said, no, I don't want to cut the cord. Like I wanted to get it like as natural as I could, right? Even though I was in hospital and I wanted to keep the placenta and to keep her attached to the placenta. And um, they were like, no, we've, we're going to, she can't breathe. Now, so they did and they just took her away. And she was like, very like, what's that scale called when a baby's born? The Apgar score. Yeah, she was like super low on it yeah. and like, but they got her back quickly. But I've always felt in my heart that if they unraveled it, the placenta was what was keeping her alive anyway. So it didn't matter that she wasn't breathing. The placenta is her lifeline for nine months and that doesn't change after she's born. If anything, it's a backup. And this is what I always talk about in preparation as well, that if resus is necessary then the benefit of keeping the cord still attached obviously massively outweighs cutting it. Yeah, 100%. But, like, yeah, I mean, what I'm hearing stuff. from... Sorry, go on. I was just going to say, all this stuff, like, this is why... And I, I'd love for you to now actually explain what a doula is, but all this stuff, like, we are so detached as women from our village, like, you've referenced that already, like, our village, like, we used to live together amongst our elders and they'd had these experiences and they were there with us in labor and they had our best interest in heart and they they had all this experience around them and and we would have watched births ourselves and you know we would have had so much more trust in our bodies that you know and our partners would would also most likely have had more trust mm-hmm. and, and experience more that to collectively as as a team we would stand up for what we wanted but we don't we we are so detached from it and 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 these medical you know situations that we're put into it detaches us even more and so a lot of the I mean a lot of the horrific stories that I hear I mean whenever any woman tells me that she's about to go induced like one thing I knew is that I was never going to let them induce me with kale of nothing because like you know unless it was like 
six weeks or to eight weeks later. <laughs> Yeah. You know, but like, that's the thing women don't stay pregnant forever no. No. I think <laughs> very 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 rarely like super rare someone won't go into labor right naturally very rare is it I've heard that there I are mean, there I have read stories of women giving birth at 44 weeks if then and they have had a lot of pressure like social services called mm-hmm. sort of pressure mm-hmm. it the like from what I'm hearing from your story it's like you hear it so often and it's not even that we don't trust our own bodies because even when we do it's like they don't they like the minute you enter a medical setting they don't allow you to trust your body they don't trust that women have intuition anymore Mm -hmm. and yeah I I mean like you're saying with the the village and and witnessing pregnancy and birth and just being surrounded by that maternal instincts and just witnessing it it's, it's lost because obviously we're very spread out from our families now like lifestyles so different we we're just like almost physically disconnected from each other although we're connected we're not as we're not we haven't got that close-knit village during our childbearing years anymore no we haven't and and so that then has the knock-on effect. I was going to say, by the way, about women, when when I ever hear about them being induced, like so often induction just leads to so many complications. Oh, like, it's a cascade of interventions. Yeah, always, like mm. almost always. But um, that then has the knock-on effect, of course, of like women not being able to breastfeed again because they don't have the support. I mean, one of the things that I became very passionate about and I trained to be was a breastfeeding peer supporter because so often it's just a lack, a lack of support. And in the hospital, like I knew I could see, feel it myself. Like I was rigid on the fact that I was going to breastfeed, but they were really ready to take my children away and give them a bottle at, at the sign of any like slight difficulty. So this leads us all to this point, right? I did consider having a doula with Savannah. I wish I'd just bloody gone and done it oh. at that point. <laughs> but I didn't know about them with Caleb. So this is what you are. So tell us what is the experience of, of having a doula, like you being someone someone's doula when they choose you, when a woman chooses you, what is her experience from beginning to, to end? I'd love to hear it. And for other women to hear it and for us to like, make sure it becomes a thing that more and more women are aware of yeah I mean wouldn't it be amazing if it was like normalized like to have that extra support Mm -hmm. I think because we have the NHS here people think well you know I've got this support and it's free why do I need to to then have somebody else like surely the midwives are going to tell me everything that I need to know basically when you work with a doula you're getting um 20 well you're getting support throughout your pregnancy your birth and post postpartum you can either work with a doula for pregnancy and birth or just postpartum or all the way through um but the benefit of having that continuity of care drastically improves outcomes because you're building trust and you have somebody that can share um information like evidence evidence-based information for you to make decisions help you make decisions that are right for you we're not there to tell you what to do and like the best way to birth we can help to we like not give advice but discuss like your options like how certain things are going to benefit you and how things might not benefit you 
but also emotional support so obviously you your hormones when you're pregnant and when after you have a baby are just changing all the time and if you're having an emotional day or a panic about something you literally just have somebody you can call and talk to um or postpartum literally go around and have a cup of tea and it, you know that can be such an isolating time after you've had a baby and to sit and just chat and talk it out about how you're feeling and not bottle it up is so beneficial it's like anything isn't it when you're stressed and anxious about something to have somebody there who is experienced and can talk things out with you is so beneficial um so yeah for like after first meeting with uh, a family or a couple or single woman sometimes um uh, obviously it's such personal work so you it's really important that we connect I couldn't just work with somebody it's not about money but you just can't do this job for money um it's it's 100% about connection and once we meet and we decide to work together um, so it's ongoing support, like I say, sharing articles, discussing their options, learning about their preferences. And then we'll have I work I do uh, three birth preparation sessions, so where we sit for two hours and go over like everything really, their plans for birth. And it's really important that I fully understand and I'm aware of all their preferences because then in the birth room, I advocate for them. Um, and I, think it's so important like to unlearn and unpick all like the social um all the things that society basically have conditioned us to believe about our bodies um because birth is like I was saying earlier it's natural and it's primal and if you're low risk there's absolutely no reason why you shouldn't be able to fully trust your body um and it's unbelievable when I when I talk to people about birth physiology and the hormones and how our bodies birth happens like our bodies give birth and when I talk to them about that the 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 shock of some people they're like oh my god I just can't believe I didn't know this like why aren't we taught this mm-hmm. we should all be taught this and it's that's mm-hmm. why I love it I, I feel really passionate about people really understanding how birth works and how to trust their bodies and the tools that we can put in place in order to manage our labor naturally rather than having to rely on drugs and the medical system and, you know, anything else that they kind of want to try and put in our bodies to make our babies be born or anything like that. Why do you think it is? Why do you think it is, in your words, I have inkling, but that they, they, they have got us into this situation as women? no money to be earned from women trusting their bodies is there mm-hmm. I exactly. just think yeah I just think um all the while we're heavily reliant on the system then they're benefiting it's like when you said like women are like oh why didn't I know this <laughs> you know why are they not teaching this at school why are they not teaching us about healthy food at school why are they not teaching us about how our bodies immune system actually works at school like all of these things are so fundamental to us making informed choice but yeah and that's what it's all about isn't it and that that, that's what 
what I always say to my clients and like I said I never tell somebody where it's going to be best for them to give birth but by sharing the right information Mm -hmm. they often come to that decision on their own anyway because they're like well you can't argue with the fact that the hormones the, the, the home supports birth like it, it allows birth to unfold as it should mm-hmm. and the minute you enter a medical setting you're much more at risk of your birth being interfered with it's like me like the midwife led unit being 40 minutes away they kept sending me back and forth what that's the worst thing they could have done yeah. absolutely the really? worst thing and then I get there and they're like lie on a bed and take this gas and air and I'm like I want no I want to be on the ball like that yeah. you know like and it's like you were saying, like when they were like, oh, you're only four centimetres dilated. So firstly, a vaginal examination is a snapshot in time just because you're only, mm-hmm. I think it's really something to be celebrated that you have opened your body to four centimetres. Mm-hmm. But when they say you've only reached four centimetres, there's no, it doesn't mean that it's, it's going to take hours for you to get up to 10 because birth is not linear. It doesn't happen. Like we don't open a centimetre an hour. We, we open, you know, at our body's own rate. There's no way of us knowing how much longer birth is going to take just because you're only four centimetres now. That's the most frustrating thing about it. And, and I don't understand that. Like these midwives, they see so many women have babies. They must know. And yet they're just ignoring their own, like, experiences. I just, it, it, it bizarre to me. It makes me sad. Like I don't feel like I will have more children don't want more children I don't think but it makes me sad to know that with my third child I would be able to get it right but it shouldn't take three children no to be in that position and that's where someone like you is is making you know such a difference because you are basically the village to those women well that's what I I try I feel like especially going in in postpartum I feel like I, I want to take on that role of the grandmother that would have been pottering about and making soups and mm. helping with breastfeeding because I'd done it so many years before and mm. seen my other daughters and grandchildren and whatever do it. And I just, mm. I think it's so important because doing this work, I hope then women will pass it down to their children or tell their friends. And somehow we're spreading this awareness that, nature isn't wrong and things work and we don't need to be so reliant on medical industry and like I said like I said earlier sorry to interrupt you but we we are fortunate that we have this because there are times of course where there are health conditions and emergencies that happen where we're really fortunate we do have access to the medical industry but where it's wrong is that they're interfering with low risk healthy pregnancies and that's kind of what needs to change yeah 100 percent. and you know like I I'm so passionate about helping make sure that Savannah has a very different experience to to me I mean gosh if you know the fact honestly the fact that I had that experience says something because like I'd read Green Parent magazine for like seven years before I had a child just mainly because I like the recipes and the environmental aspects but I was in that magazine once oh really (laughs) I was actually in that magazine (laughs) me and my little Etsy shop oh with your clothes shop (laughs) yeah but like I, I just you know I was honestly like I was so far 
more advanced for want of a better word than most mothers so the fact that I got in that position is actually even more of a scary thing in many ways and I I, you know Josh wasn't the same as me in terms of his learning so that didn't help so having someone that was the same as me would have really you know you for example would have really (laughs) stopped me from being in that situation but for Savannah you know I'm already I think actually you shared the other day this beautiful video of this baby being born with the head that was out for quite a while did you yeah yeah and then the baby came out after I don't know a minute or so but I watched that with her so she's seven nearly eight and she was just like oh that's amazing yeah. and then she wanted to watch so many more and we watched loads that's amazing <laughs> and that's, yeah. uh, that is so amazing to hear because that that's what I do with my girls like I my Instagram news feed is literally just birth videos pretty much anyway so if I'm on Instagram my youngest especially is showing way more interest because my oldest she's a bit squeamish but I'm working on her um she, yeah my youngest she's like she absolutely loves watching it and they love asking me questions if I've been at a birth like, did you see a baby be born so they're like really into it and I just want it to be normalized for them I want them to I want them to trust their bodies and I think that starts not it starts from being a child and how we rear them and how we how we teach them to look after their bodies and I hope that they carry that forward with them my youngest was born at home and I it it was unassisted not planned that way but um I'm glad it, it worked out that way in the end but because they know she was born at home and there was no one there apart from my mom and my partner there I think that alone is like wow what trust to have in a woman's body to be able to do that and no one was there to like in you know make it work my body did it you know yeah really special yeah really really special I have to say like I did used to watch one born every minute with Caleb before my daughter was born and I would never watch that again but that was what I had access to at the time but now Savannah now he like Savannah he was actually interested in what we were watching because Savannah wanted to watch it again the next night and he watched it with me so like he's you know I I think it's important I suppose if we have boys that they watch it too and 100% because like you were saying when we have partners that aren't really like aligned with us in that respect like that's why as well when I work with um with uh, couples it's so important to me and I always make it really well known to them that we create a team between us it's not me just supporting the woman and you know he just sits on the sidelines I'm like in teaching him but empowering him to be able to support her if I wasn't even there you know yeah. that's so that is so important so on that matter of you being there are you basically on call 24 7 well, I'm actually on call for two births at the moment. So if I get called. <laughs> Gotta go. <laughs> yeah, no, I I tend to work it so that I have a month off in between because I don't think I could live my life on call. Mm. Um, the, the first on call period I did um, was over the Christmas period, which was such a huge learning curve for me, especially with having young children end up being called on Christmas Day. Um, but it is what it is, you know. Um, and then the second my second uncle period I overlapped two births again so it is quite emotionally draining uh, energetically draining to be on call for somebody all the time I do wake up in the morning sometimes I'm like oh my god I didn't hear my phone go off but I did I'd always hit my phone <laughs> um, but yeah no so I always tend to have a break in between so that I'm not you know completely unattached from home life 
And they call um, the midwife as well. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. So we always talk about, you know, when to call me, when they can call the midwife kind of whenever they like. They tend to call me beforehand because it's having that emotional support literally from the beginning. And then we can kind of discuss throughout when when do they feel is right to ring ring the midwife. Yeah. Yeah. And um, am I right in saying there is a legal requirement to call midwife? No. Oh, there isn't. Okay. No, no, you can free birth. There's no law against that if you choose to. Because my friend who recently had her fifth baby at home, she, the midwife kind of got a bit antsy with her that she didn't call they just can so they just can get that way it's not like a oh a, yeah yeah, okay. yeah it's very hit and miss, miss with what what midwife you get and okay. do you know what the majority of them are lovely and really supportive of somebody having a doula you just kind of get the odd one that doesn't like the idea of being so hands-off mm-hmm. because I feel like usually if you've got a doula as support you if you if we, we I found with my clients anyway, because we've done the work, we've talked about hand, the benefits of hands-off birth. You'll get some midwives that are like, oh, well, I just feel like a spare part. What's the point of me being here? But equally, it's like, just trust the process. And, you know, you're here so that, you know, if they do need that extra layer of support, then you're here to support them. Do you... Do you feel like, given the times that we are in, the, the importance of your work even more? Oh, 100%. Yeah, really do. Like When I first certified, and obviously we had every, all of this going on, and we weren't allowed birth partners, and I thought, oh, my God, like, you know, what was this is like the worst thing could have to ever happen, but... I feel like, like I was saying earlier, because of the restrictions, it kind of brought birth home and you can't restrict people from having people in the home, although they tried just to, you know, stop doulas working in the home, but you can't do that. And I feel like people have realised the benefit of that extra support, having had it taken away or having, because obviously they were told oh there might not be a midwife that can come to your home birth because we're understaffed or like um, just having midwife appointments over the phone people really realize the benefit of that emotional and physical support so the minute things opened up I mean I worked the entire way through if people were willing to work with me then I I would definitely wanted to put you know wanted to support them I work it was like the most important time really Mm-hmm. so that because people's rights were being completely stripped from them and they weren't even aware people aren't really aware of their rights when you speak to them at the beginning of pregnancy they are not and that's another huge benefit of having someone like me is because we can always make sure that your rights you, you know your rights and people are respecting them basically yeah because people will walk all over them oh if- absolutely if they don't think that you're there to stand up for yourself yeah, or someone else to in that moment because of course yeah. like when you're in labor it's very hard it's very hard to stand up for what you want and that's where you know a doula is so powerful Absolutely. like your your voice really mm, yeah and all, all the way through pregnancy as well like especially going overdue mm. <laughs> like people don't know that 
aren't aware of their rights in it. It's like, why would you question these people that are like looking out for me? But really, is it always looking out for you or is it for the convenience of them? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there are a bunch of questions that I sometimes ask people. Mm-hmm on these podcasts we've covered a lot of them already just by talking <laughs> that's good <laughs> but do you have you have you personally like you know coming into this work have you personally had to let go of or just in your life in general you know I, I I do love this question and I think you know it's 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 important for other women to hear because so many of us are held back by the stories and the wounds that we carry with us have there been has there anything that stood out for you that's kind of given allowed you to move forward with confidence in in your work and so my parents separated when I was 13 um and I feel like that was uh, it was a really like tough age to for that to happen to me um which I mean, I didn't, I denied that it ever really affected me for a long time. And it was only like revisiting it that I realised that it's, it, it did really affect me, probably being that age and being so aware of what was happening, um, trying to always be the strong one for my younger siblings and my dad, who was having a pretty tough time. Um, and I've, you know, me and my mum now, we have such a great relationship and we have always been close, but it's been turbulent through my teens and early 20s. Um, and I think probably having my daughters, it helped us a lot. Um, but I was always labelled as like an angry person by her. But I think that was because I always spoke my truth to her. Um, and we often had disputes and she always, oh, you're so angry, you're so angry. And I then kind of like had to unpick that a lot because I was like, am I like harboring a lot of anger and how is this showing up for me? And I, I did, I did a lot of, I have an amazing friend who is a EFT practitioner, emotional freedom technique. So we did a lot of work and um, it was, yeah, that was amazing. And I feel like now I can recognize where I do hold that anger or I, you know, I don't hold, so, hold it so much anymore. It definitely comes out at times, but I now can, I can reframe it. Like she was used to like say that I was scary and confrontational. And I think it was only because I was calling her out for things that she didn't want to be called out for that I was scary. I don't think I'm a scary person, but the confrontation I feel like I can turn that into the confidence that I need in my work and I feel like my work brings out a gentler side of me um I don't I don't I I don't we all have anger I suppose but it's just how you how you carry it I don't feel like it defines me anymore but you know I recognize it it's a huge part of who I am today like it brought me to here um and yeah I just think that that confrontation that she always called out is just my confidence in being okay with speaking about how I feel I can't tell you how much I relate to that story because my 
my mom um, and I had a very fractious relationship. And again, you know, having children really helped that. But, you know, I have recognized really a lot recently how I, I was called patronizing and I'm like too, too big for my boots. Like, and it was often the patronizing thing happened because I was trying to talk in a calmer way when we were arguing. And then that came across as like patronizing. And so it was like kept going and kept going until it became angry. And then I was a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's so interesting, like how I've had to unpick that because what I've recognized is actually those parts of me that I came across as patronizing were actually the parts of me that was trying to be who I am today, which is like, I, I guess, loving and also a little bit like influencing to try and things for things to be more on a connected soul level rather than like you know just throwing out words like anger like I I wanted it to come down and and be more connected and that was came across as patronizing Mm. um and I realized that I, I I have hidden those parts of myself that kind of more influencing like kind of the more spiritual side of who I am I suppose because it was seen as too much or patronizing and so like I can really relate to that relationship and and what those messages that we've heard from the people that we've loved as a child we weren't being really being allowed to be ourselves and it was labeled as something negative when actually like you say like with your your ability to confront and and deal with things head on it's actually really powerful and a very valuable tool that you're now able to use in your work and obviously able to use given the times that we are in to stand for truth and you know that's yeah I really relate to that and it does take some unpicking though because we learn we we trust our parents so much don't we yeah absolutely yeah and I think that's a lot of my anger came from frustration of not being able to understand why certain things were happening or certain ways she was behaving at the time and I like you say that now I draw strength from that and I feel like I can tackle things head on and I feel like sometimes especially in these times I feel that anger bubbling up inside me because it's that same frustration trying to understand why things are happening and not understanding certain behaviors so that work that I did I have to remind myself and I I'm grateful for that work that I did because it helps me cope in these times I love um I think I've did I refer to this in another podcast I might have but you know in human have you ever done your human design no oh no. you totally should do your human I know, design you I know. would love it but when you do your human design you get all the different color like you see your different color your energy centers and some of them are solid and some of them are empty and within human design the the idea is that the ones that are solid are the ones that you already know and that are just integrated within you on a soul level when you're born and the other energy centers of the places where you need to learn the spaces that you need to learn and grow into and and it's said that actually they're the places that you should teach from because they're the experiences that you have had and so obviously this isn't relating to human design but I do often come back to that it's actually 
being grateful for these experiences because if we just had it already that knowledge it's very hard to teach from that place because you can't empathize with someone who hasn't had it and needs to get it yeah. and like that we, makes so much sense yeah it? Mm. yeah it really does like so I am so grateful for all of my experiences because they have led me to be able to do the work that I do in in the unique way that I do it and you know only I can do it because of my experiences and the same yeah. for you so yeah yeah absolutely it's amazing so um something I'm speaking about more and more these days is is the feminine and the masculine and I it's it's really fascinating for me I mean I did a, a podcast on it a couple of weeks ago because a lot of women have heard of these terms they sort of understand what they mean but they don't really understand how it, it connects to their life and is that something you've done work around understanding and and you can articulate as to how they kind of show up for you yeah. in work and in life yeah, yeah. To, to a point yeah I can recognize what energies are which and where um, I use them kind of in my daily life especially in my work because I feel with this work what um I think a lot of people would think oh you know it's, it's just yin energy you know all, all the feminine but it's 100% both especially working with families and around men and women um so, I, so I'd say um like obviously intuition is a huge um a huge like quality to have to do this work obviously being intuitive to people's needs and moods and changes um being compassionate and grounded um and calm especially in the birth room remaining calm and obviously I'm listing all the feminine at the moment I'll yeah. go on to the masculine afterwards um uh pretty like generosity um like postpartum offerings um is a huge part of working in the fourth trimester uh, and being nurturing of course um, and also I think um, like collaborating I, I'm pretty sure that's feminine isn't it collaborative yeah I, I feel like it knowing my yeah. husband <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I, so I would say like having to be collaborative with people like creating a birth team and taking on a role of like um, somebody who comes into the home and works with people and being caring like I say intuitive and doing things before people realize people like things need doing for them um, and just like alleviating that responsibility and stress of having to do things after you've had a baby I think that um, that's definitely where feminine like leads me in this role um, but with um masculine I would say being confident and like focused in the birth room as again being assertive especially when uh, women families are coming up against resistance so being like assertive and strong um and also like being logical like working it around my family uh, like the job in general um like we were saying earlier, like being on call, I think having to work these things around my family and think logically about it. So I'd say, yeah, there's definitely a balance between yeah. the two. 
yeah. just kind of like listed like off there but it's just like rolled off my yeah, as, as it came into my head yeah no yeah I see all of that I see all of that and and we do like you know whatever we do we have to bring in you know the balance um do you feel like it's do you feel like you can easily kind of move between the two in your relationship as well with your partner uh yes I'd like to say yes yeah. um um I th- we we can be both quite hot-headed I don't know sometimes I think I've got quite a lot of like masculine energy in the relationship maybe not so compassionate when it comes to him that's really awful to say isn't it because it's so gets, normal yeah <laughs> it's so normal and I was there and that's why I, I I had to do a lot of work in it mm. to like really help our relationship actually which is kind of what I shared in the podcast but it's yeah I think especially I can imagine it's actually quite difficult when you've come from a situation where you have had to be so in control within the the birth space like you say not so much when you're with the actual mother because that's where the feminine comes out but in terms of everyone else you're kind of having to step into that masculine so much and then hold this to hold the space yeah to hold the space and then you're coming home yeah actually what would be the best for you probably would be to surrender to your feminine but it's so hard to to switch between the two sometimes and yeah um I can totally imagine that that would be difficult yeah um it I think it definitely depends on where I am in my cycle actually as well you know for us all yeah (laughs) um but yeah you're right I think um I'm used to kind of control is the wrong word but like um holding the space so that I can protect like her environment yes in in that protect in that her. situation yeah, yeah. protecting exactly yeah so the protector really is like a very masculine energy actually mm. in that in that instance it is interesting actually to think of it because then obviously with the mother you're the nurturing side yeah yeah, yeah. it's definitely split you have to yeah. float around all these yeah. different energies yeah really interesting <laughs> okay so last two questions what legacy do you want to leave behind? What do you want to be known for? Ooh. Um, okay. I would like to think that people would remember me for being someone that always like stood for what I believed in, um, that I was passionate um, and conscious and I cared. Um, and I hope, I hope, obviously, that will live on through my children. Because, mm-hmm. um, I like, like we were saying earlier, like, I'm really passionate about birth and people, well, women believing in their bodies um, and, like, natural parenting and natural living. And I want these things to be so normalised, like, especially for my children, that, it's, that that is what's real for them. Like, that is their normal. Mm-hmm. So I hope that that will kind of live on through them and also that like it's okay if we live a life that's slightly different from other people and that they don't if people don't really understand it then that's okay that this is what's right for us yeah um I actually had this conversation with my sister um because she's 39 weeks pregnant like really close um 
and she was like saying about oh, bringing a baby into this world and stuff and I've had you know I remember like feeling the same thing and uh, I said a friend once said to me sorry that you know we're the sort of people that need to be bringing children into this world we are raising the next generation of conscious people and the planet needs children that people like our children so that's what I hold on to that I'm raising a conscious generation 100 percent, 100 percent. and even though like I don't want more children and part of me thinks I just have one more just to help humanity <laughs> yeah. I've read I've referenced it in a podcast before but I'll reference it again because it's really relevant to what you've said have you read earth is hiring by Peter Kelly no oh I think you oh. really love it she's a woman oh. she's um she's great to follow anyway right now with everything that's happening yeah. um peter she's peter jean on instagram but um she talks about that about those children uh, the children and what they're here for and it's yeah it's really powerful mm. um okay so last question what would you say to the younger version of you if you could go back and sit with her and be with her and say something to her um so I think I would tell tell her to trust um that let's try and think how I'm going to word this properly um basically I've always had this desire to like hold on to every single person in my life and I think this has like been a huge learning thing for me is that people come into your life and even if it's for a really short time they they bring something into your life and I because I've always had this desire to hold on to everyone it's like the relationships aren't necessarily right but just take away what you need from them nurture the ones that nurture you and let the other ones fall away and I think that's what I tell her because it's taken me a long time to realize that and I just think, yeah, trust, manifest what you want and believe that you can have those things. Oh, my goodness. I totally love that. I love that. Yeah. 100%. Just yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't believe that's gone so quickly. That oh hour God, it's flown by. Oh, so oh fast. Oh, my God. I love that. Oh, <laughs> thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for so having me. So grateful that we made it work and the children didn't come in and you didn't get a call. <laughs> I know, we made <laughs> it through. We made it through. <laughs> so thank you. Oh, no, thank you so much for having me. It's been lovely to speak to you properly. Not in person, kind of. <laughs> so good. So, oh. so there we have it. I, I really hope that you enjoyed it as I say it was for me as I said at the beginning just it was such a such a pleasure and you know I'd never spoken to Sophia before but and I I said to her at the beginning of the podcast let's not talk before let's just hit play and um hit record even and just see what what transpires because I don't want any part of the conversation to be lost without it being recorded and yeah it was a beautiful conversation so I have got a really busy schedule um, coming up in September of recordings with um, three more women um, 
all actually in the next seven days I'm recording them all ready um to be that's just how it worked when they were available and when I was available but they will be coming out through September and I'm excited to bring those conversations to you I was speaking to my dad he he's visiting me for a couple of days and he said he was listening to a podcast called the world's greatest con and the the guy who recorded the podcast had said at the end how passionate he was about getting this podcast heard by the world and that actually whilst it is so wonderful and thank you so much for any of you who who have subscribed um, and reviewed the podcast but he said and you know I feel this in my heart so strongly too that the best way to share something that you love and this is something that I am generally pretty good at and most women are is to send it to someone and I really am so passionate about this message being out there and reaching as many women as possible so if it's this podcast episode or if it's another episode that you've already listened to of of the other eight that I've already recorded that really spoke to you, I would be so honoured if you could copy the link and send it to another woman or another two or three women that you feel would really love to listen to these conversations because... I haven't got a fancy marketing team that shares my podcasts. I'm just here in my office pouring my heart out every week. And if you could help more women hear what I have to share, if, if it's resonating with you, I would I would really greatly appreciate it. So that's it. Until next week, I'm sending you love from what is currently a very, very hot evening here but I know the weather is meant to break tomorrow which is when this podcast actually will also break so there we go okay see you next week again I really wanted to say and failed to say in in that goodbye head over to Instagram and check out Sophia on the intuitive doula she has beautiful shares you will feel her passion um yeah it it's a wealth of information to be able to share with other women who you know are having children um to be able to share with your daughters your sons to prepare them for just really coming back to themselves when it is their time to have children and um she also on her website which is linked up below along with a couple of things that I mentioned throughout the podcast um you know the book I mentioned and various other bits but I've linked up Sophia's website where you can even if you don't live in Bristol have some time with her to prepare for your birth if that is where you are right now so yeah that is the final recording this episode um it is time for me to go to bed clearly okay until
until next week for certain this time over and out